Well, good morning, Discovery. I'll let the, the kids walk out here. Youth, sorry, youth. Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Miller. I'm a part of the teaching team here at Discovery. And uh, I, I work here in Davis. My wife and I have lived here for a couple years. And I work with a Christian ministry called The Navigators uh, that operates out of uh, UC Davis here. A couple of our Navigator students are here this morning. And uh, people often ask me when I tell them that I work in full-time ministry, they, they often ask, well, did you go to seminary? And uh, the answer is no, I, I didn't go to seminary. Uh, I went to school in Cal State Long Beach in Southern California, and there I, I studied math. So I got my uh, Bachelor's of Science in Pure Mathematics, which is a pretentious way of saying theoretical math, uh, which is like a nice way of saying math that's not practical at all. But uh, you guys are Davis students, you guys are from Davis, you know that, you know what uh, math's all about. Uh, <laughs> So, so the math, no, I, I didn't use the math, but while I was in college, I was involved with the Navigators at Long Beach. And I, I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up knowing the Lord. Uh, my, my parents uh, raised us to know the Lord. But for most of my life, up until college, I would call myself uh, an immature Christian or, or maybe a baby Christian. I was a Christian, um, but really it was because of my environment. It was because of my family. Uh, it was because all of my friends were Christian. It was because on Sunday and Wednesday and sometimes Saturday, I was at the church. Uh, it wasn't until college when I, I realized that if I was going to continue to be a Christian, it was going to be because I had to choose to do it. I remember waking up, and some of you guys here at Davis may uh, know this feeling. You wake up Sunday morning and you realize that your parents aren't going to come in and knock on the door and make you wake up. That if I was going to wake up on Sunday morning and go to church, uh, I was going to have to do it myself. And... Uh, Thankfully, uh, by God's grace, I got involved with the Navigator ministry there, and I learned what it looks like to walk with the Lord. I learned what it looks like to, to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. I, I learned uh, how to read my Bible and, and how to communicate with God through prayer. I learned how to share my faith with others. Uh, I'm so grateful for that time. And when I graduated, uh, I, man, I, I love math. Uh, math is a, a beautiful subject, despite what some might say, but but more exciting to me than math uh, was the gospel of Jesus. And, and so I decided to, to work with the Navigators after college. And I've been with the Navigators for about four years now. And uh, I've been, again, in Davis for about two years. And I'm excited about what we're talking about. Uh, I'm excited about discipleship. I'm excited about uh, making disciples. I'm excited about being a disciple. And I'm excited about uh, this desire to change the world. Uh, who doesn't want that? And so I'm excited to talk to you guys this morning. So here at Discovery, we want to be disciples who make disciples, right? We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks now, and this is important. Uh, this is at the heart of what we do. And so we're going to look at what the scripture have to say about that this morning, and uh, we're going to be mostly in Matthew 9. So if you guys want to, if you have a Bible, you want to turn there, you can. Uh, we have Bibles available. If you don't have one, just raise a hand and we'll get you one. Uh, we want everybody to have a Bible here. We're reading Matthew 9. And uh, if, if you are a student in uh, our Navigator ministry, I warned you, but you're probably going to hear a lot of the same things you've been hearing for months now, because uh, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm excited about. So you get to hear it again. So Matthew 9, and, and before I, I read it and talk about it, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for the, the privilege of being in a community 
of believers where we can come and we can worship you on Sunday. God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Uh, Would I decrease so that you can increase? God, I believe that you want to speak through your word. I believe that you want to call us into relationship with you. I believe that you want to teach us to be disciples. And I believe that you want us to make more disciples. And God, I want to communicate that clearly this morning. So again, Lord, would I decrease? Would you increase? Would you speak through me? Thank you for your word, and thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. So uh, you guys can turn to Matthew 9. Again, our desire at Discovery is to be disciples who make disciples. And our, our vision is to be a church that reaches this city in order to reach the world. Right, we want to be a church in Davis reaching this city so that we can change the world. So let me ask, how, how are we doing? Right, if that's our goal, if that's our vision, how are we doing at changing this city? How are we doing at reaching this city? So these are some really rough statistics. Now, as somebody who studied math, these, these hurt me a little bit. I didn't have time to look up the actual stats. Uh, but let's, it's just really rough, okay? So don't, don't quote these other people. But Davis has about 65,000 people, okay? Give or, give or take 30,000 during the summer. But about 65,000 people. And rough estimates uh, from a trusted source is about 5,000 people attending church. Okay, so there are a lot of churches in Davis, which is awesome. And, and roughly, there's about 5,000 people involved in church somehow. Now, I say roughly because just because we go to church doesn't mean that we're a follower of Jesus. Uh, but let's just say, for the sake of easy statistics, that 5,000 Christians. Uh, that's about 1 in 13. And, and that's not bad, uh, but that means that 12 out of 13 people don't know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Jesus in Davis. What's the problem? Why, why is that number so high? Uh, why is it that 12 out of 13 people don't know about Jesus? And there's, there's a lot of uh, things that we can think about. There's a lot of reasons we can give. I mean, we're in Davis. Uh, Davis is an extremely educated city. A lot of degrees, a lot of graduate degrees, a lot of PhDs. Um, some might say that Davis is postmodern, is a term that people throw out. Maybe it's a little too educated for Christianity. Uh, we might say that Davis is maybe too liberal. Uh, the culture just, it doesn't vibe with, with Christianity. People don't want to be Christians. We might say that there's no stability. So, man, a lot of people come to Davis for a year. They leave during the summer. They come for two years. They leave. They move on. There's just not enough time to really establish roots. And, and all of these things are, are legitimate. Uh, all of these things are, are true. But, but let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Why, why more people aren't Christians. So back to Matthew 9, and this is verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So see this picture. Okay, guys, picture the crowds. Uh, Maybe you're you're on campus. You're at the the MU, the quad, when class gets out. Maybe you're in downtown at the park on a Saturday morning during the farmer's market. See the crowds. 
uh, see people, families, young people, old people, walking to and fro. Some are, some are busy, some are frantic, some are talking groups. And, and Jesus sees this, and he, he says, he doesn't say anything about it's too liberal. He doesn't say anything about too educated. He doesn't mention that there are people that are moving in and out of Davis. He says, man, there's, there's just not enough laborers. Right, there's not enough workers. That, that's the problem. Right, there's, there's not enough workers. Right, if we were to ask ourselves, and, and, and I believe this is true of any city, of any town, of any school, of any country, why aren't there more believers? Right, why don't more people know about Jesus? And the answer is always going to be, there's not enough laborers. There's not enough people to tell them. Now, Jesus uses two metaphors here, and I want, I want to break them down because I think they're important. So Jesus sees the crowds, and the first thing he says is, they're harassed and helpless. Sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. Now, uh, this is a common metaphor in Scripture uh, in in biblical times. A lot of people uh, were shepherds. Uh, Shepherding was a common profession. People would have understood very clearly what Jesus was talking about. We, We kind of lose a little bit of that. I don't know any shepherds personally. Uh, maybe, maybe you guys do. I don't know. I actually, no, that's not true. I kind of know a shepherd. We have one of our students who like, works with goats, and she says it's very comparable. So she's told me a little bit about working with goats. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you call a goat shepherd, a goatherd or something. But, so this is a common metaphor in Scripture. Now, sheep are, are notoriously uh, dumb animals. And so uh, it's okay to take offense at this, but Jesus is saying, yeah, sheep without a shepherd, they're, uh, they're kind of dumb. Uh, I've, I've actually heard it said that if you do not lead a sheep to water to drink, uh, they can die because they don't know that they're thirsty or they don't know how to find water on their own. So not the smartest of animals. But this theme runs throughout Scripture, and it illustrates very clearly our actual present spiritual reality. So let me point out a few verses here. This is in Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, We all, everyone, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now this is a prophecy in the Old Testament speaking about what would would come in the New Testament. And he says that we, like sheep, we've, we've all gone astray. We've all done our own thing. We've all gone our own way and tried our own paths. And you, you guys know this is true of us. This is true of me. This was true of me. We continually choose to do our own thing. We do wrong. We, we sin against God. We break his rules. And no matter how hard we try, we can never really seem to get it right. Uh, we pursue endless activities, we pursue endless hobbies, and, and none of them seem to really satisfy. We have a, a sense, a, kind of a vision of what is right and good, but we have no ability to attain it. We're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus speaks primarily when he's, his, mo- his ministry is mostly to Jews. And the Jews were very, very familiar with the Old Testament. So all of the Jews that Jesus is speaking to, they would have known Isaiah 53. They would have been very, very familiar with that passage. They would have known the metaphor. They would have known the analogy. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and in John 10, he's speaking to the crowds, and he says, talking about sheep, he says, the thief 
comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what a beautiful picture that we, harassed and helpless sheep, have gone astray. We've gone our own way. We've done what we wanted, whatever pleased our fancy. And Jesus says, ah, I, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to die for you because I care about you so much. Jesus is our great and good shepherd. And he said, if, if you would follow me, if you would put your trust in me, if you would believe in me, I will give you eternal life. I will give you all that you want. I'll give you life to the full. He'll save us from our crooked ways, from our sin, from, our, from pursuing our own path. So as Jesus looks out of the crowds, this is what he sees. He sees harassed and helpless sheep, and he says, they need a shepherd. They need me. And then he switches. He uses a different metaphor. He sees harassed and helpless sheep, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, uh, farming is maybe a little bit more common in Davis, but, but still, depending on where you grew up, you, we might not be that familiar with farming. Uh, I have a, a student that I've been discipling for a while, a good friend of mine, and uh, during the summers, he goes back to Modesto area, Central California, and he works on a, uh, an almond farm, or as he says, an almond farm. I don't know. Uh, I think you have to work on an almond farm in order to call them almonds, so I'll just call them almonds. But he works on an almond farm, and uh, he, works, he works all summer long, and he, he works about 50, 55 hours a week, uh, except during the two-week harvest. Now, during the harvest, uh, you have a narrow window to harvest the crop. And so during harvest time, uh, they will arrive on the farm at 5.30, and they will leave at 8.30 uh, p.m. So they will work 15, 16 hours every day. Now, if you happen to work for a Christian farmer, he might let you have Sunday off, but a lot of times they won't even take Sunday off. And for two weeks straight, they will work 15, 16, as many hours as they can. Because when the harvest window closes, it's over. You've, you've lost the crop. And so it's all hands on deck when the harvest is plentiful. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying here. Right? He's saying, guys, look out at the crowds. There are people harassed and helpless sheep that, that need to know me, that want to know me. We need to get out there. It's harvest time. Now, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, if we have put our trust in him, and if we follow him, then his problem is our problem. And when, he, when he sees a, a plentiful harvest and he says we need laborers, then that has to be our heart as well. We have to say, yes, Lord, I, I see that too. And I think to be a disciple, it means we are a laborer. Because we follow Jesus, we want what he wants. His goal is our goal. His plan is our, our plan. To be a disciple is to be a laborer. And if we're going to change the world, guys, if we're going to change the city, we have to. Uh, we, there's no choice. The harvest is plentiful. We, we need more laborers. Now, I, I hear this objection a lot, and I want to spend the rest of the time kind of breaking down this objection. I don't know how. I, I'm, I'm not trained. I'm not qualified. I I, I can't labor. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that means. I, I think it's legitimate. 
Uh, we, we live in Davis, uh, a city of experts, if you will, where, again, more people have graduate degrees than not, it feels like. That might actually be true, I don't know. But we live in a world where if you have a problem, you go to the expert in that problem. Right? If, you, if you are sick, you go to a doctor. If you have uh, issues with the law, you go to a lawyer. If you need to get to space, you go to a rocket scientist. Future guys, it's happening. We live in a world of experts, a city of experts. And so it's, it's natural to think, well, uh, if the harvest is plentiful, if, if we need laborers, well, call the experts, right? Call, call the pastors, call the elders. But Jesus doesn't say that, right? Jesus doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, we need more speakers. He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, we need more good authors, good Christian authors. He says we need laborers, right? Uh, labor, it's an agricultural term. Now, uh, if you have worked on a farm, you know it's hard work, but honestly, it's not that complicated of work. Right? I... I I worked uh, in landscaping, and uh, yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> you're out in the sun all day, you're, you're lifting things, you're digging holes, uh, but not that hard of work. And, and I think similarly, uh, laboring in the harvest, it's, it's not that complicated. And so I want, I want to talk about that a little bit. Now, uh, please hear me. We need good pastors and we need elders, and we need speakers, and we need authors. And we have a fantastic staff team here. But guys, there's more work than, than they can do alone. There's more to be done in Davis than, than Pastor John can do. Now, I, I mentioned earlier, when I was in college, uh, I, was, I learned what it means to be a disciple. And the way that came about is I had a, a man invest in my life. Uh, he was on staff with the Navigators at Long Beach. His name was Stephen Crawford. And when I went to college, Stephen invested in me a lot. Uh, he would hang out with me. He would uh, ask me to read the Bible together. He would ask how he could pray for me. He would pray with me. We would, he taught me how to share my faith. And he would get together with me. He'd, he'd buy me coffee. We'd talk about life. He'd ask me about my relationship with God. He poured out his life to me. And I learned what it means to be a disciple. Now, Stephen uh, went to school in New York about 15 years ago. He went to college at a, a music conservatory in, uh, actually New England, sorry, New England. He went to music conservatory, and Stephen was not a Christian in college. And when Stephen was a sophomore, he was taking a music theory class, and he had a fellow student come up to him after class, whose name was Peter, and Peter asked Stephen, uh, if he would want to get together sometime and read the Bible and talk about what it meant. And uh, Stephen considered himself spiritual, even though he wasn't a Christian, and uh, he figured that would be the right thing to do. It, he also uh, had a hard time saying no to people, and so Stephen said yes. And, and, and Peter and Stephen got together to read the Bible, and they talked about it. And, and after a few months of reading the Bible uh, and, and talking about it, talking about what it meant, talking about Jesus and the gospel, I think Peter invited him to church a couple times, uh, Stephen gave his life to Christ. Stephen became a Christian. And Stephen, uh, when he graduated from the, the conservatory in New England, he went on staff with the Navigators, and he invested in me, and he's now at USC investing in dozens of young men. And I have no idea what happened to Peter. I, I don't, I've never met Peter. Uh, I've only heard stories about him. I have no idea where he is. 
He probably pursued a career in music. But as a sophomore in college, Peter decided that he was going to labor in the harvest. He decided that he was going to do what little he could do, what little he knew how to do, and he was going to invest in Stephen. Now, arguably, anybody that, that ever uh, comes to Christ through my ministry or through Stephen's ministry, anybody who's ever discipled or invested in by me, they, they have Peter to thank. And, and Peter wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't a speaker. He was an author. He was a, a music student at a conservatory in New England. And yet he was willing to do what he could to labor. So what does it mean to be a laborer? All right, we're going to talk about a few things, a few observations. Now, here, please hear, I'm not going to give a list of steps. Uh, I would love if I could give you a list of steps, but that's not how it works. Right? Uh, being a disciple is, is not a, a how-to process. But I do want to share a few observations that will help, that will point us in the right direction. And some of these should sound familiar. We've been talking about them for a few weeks. But if, if, this, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh, yeah, the, you know, the harvest is plentiful, and, you know, I, I don't know that I've really done anything to help with that. I don't know that I would call myself a laborer. Then hear, hear these few things. The first one comes out of 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, this is verses 4 through 6. It says, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Corinth. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul arguably uh, labored more for the kingdom of God than anyone since. Uh, I think I can say that confidently. He wrote about half of the New Testament. He planted potentially hundreds of churches, uh, shared the gospel with thousands of people. And he said that I, I am not competent in myself. Again, this is Paul, who, who gave his life for the gospel, who was beaten for the sake of the gospel, who was thrown in prison multiple times for the sake of the gospel, who preached to anyone and everyone who would listen. And he said, I, I'm not competent, but my competence comes from God. God is the one who makes us competent. Our competence comes from God. And this shouldn't surprise us. Uh, this, is, this is the gospel message again. Uh, we're not enough on our own, that, that all of our efforts— we can work, 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 and it, and it won't accomplish anything, but God works in us. He works for us. He works on our behalf. Our competence comes from God. Second, this is Acts 4.13. Now, uh, let me set the stage a little bit in, in the book of Acts. So, the, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has met with his disciples, and he's told them, that they need to go and share the gospel with the whole world. He said, I, I died, I rose again, I'm going up to heaven. It's your guys' job to get this message out. And a couple chapters later, uh, Peter and John, two of the apostles, they're preaching uh, to large groups of people, 
and they are brought in, they're kind of arrested, they're, they're brought in for questioning by these religious leaders. And these religious leaders, these Jews, were not happy because they were preaching a message that was contrary to what they believed. And so they bring them in for questioning, and, and they're, they're kind of harassing them. It's, there's a bunch of uh, religious leaders talking down to these guys, and they're harassing them, they're asking all these questions. And then in Acts 4.13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, they, they made like a, a movie adaptation of this a few years ago. It's called Goodwill Hunting. You guys ever seen that one? I'm kidding, that was a joke. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Goodwill Hunting, it, it always reminds me of this, this passage. So in Goodwill Hunting, they're at a college, and there's a professor of math, which I love. And he, he poses all these like really, really hard problems on the chalkboard, and nobody can ever solve them. But at night, like somebody comes in and solves the problem, and, and then uh, the next morning, everybody's like, oh, who solved it? And it turns out it was the janitor, Matt Damon, he's really smart. Uh, that's kind of what happened here, okay? So, so you have to imagine these religious leaders and rulers, they have spent their entire life studying this stuff. They are the experts, they are the masters, and, and here they are talking to fishermen who were not known for being schooled at all. They didn't, they didn't, they dropped out of school so they could go fish. They followed the family business. And, and here they are confounding the religious leaders with their knowledge and, and with their statements. And it says that they had been with Jesus. That was the one thing, guys. That was the one thing that set these guys apart. It wasn't their schooling. It wasn't their training. It was they had been with Jesus. So I have a, a little catchy phrase. It's not about what you know, but who you know. And, and what I mean by that is more important than training, than knowledge, than knowledge, more important than those things is who you know, your, your relationship with Jesus. Now, why is that true? Because the nature of our relationship with Jesus is transformative. And what I mean by that is, when we spend time with Jesus, he transforms us. John talked about this last week, about prioritizing daily time with Jesus, that we get so busy sometimes that we don't have time for others and we don't have time for God. But when we prioritize it, when we spend time with him, we become more like him. And this is our training. This is our seminary. When we spend time reading his word, when we spend time praying, when we spend time worshiping him, when we spend time alone with him and with others with him, it's not about what you know, but about who you know. And this sets us apart as disciples. We're those that spend time with Jesus and become like him. So our competence comes from God. He's the one who makes us competent. We, it's not about natural skills. It's not about natural gifting. But our competence comes from him. It's not about what we know, but it's about who we know, and that's Jesus. And lastly, being a laborer means that we are disciples who make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, potentially a familiar passage. It's commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It says, Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are disciples who make disciples. Picture the scene. Jesus is talking to his, his 12, 11 at this point. He's talking to these 11 disciples. And these, these men have been with him for three years, about. Uh, they've spent a lot of time with him. They've seen him in action. They've heard him speak. They've heard him pray. They've probably prayed together. They've eaten meals together. These men are Jesus' disciples. And then Jesus says to them, I want you to go and make more. I want you to reproduce yourself. Make more disciples. Make more followers of me. Now, we know what to, to teach. We know what to communicate because it's who we are. Right? As, I, as I spend time with Jesus, I know how to communicate that to another person because I, I've been there. We, you don't need to teach somebody how to introduce friends. Right? If I have a friend and I want you to meet my friend, I'll, I will introduce you to my friend. Right? And I know all about him because I've spent time with him. Same with Jesus. I love this quote. Uh, this is from D.T. Niles. He was an evangelist in Sri Lanka. And he said that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And, and I like it because it's so simple. I have found what is good. I have found the shepherd who will lead me. I've found the one who promises eternal life. Come see what I saw. Come experience what I experienced. One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. At its core, Christianity is not that complicated. Now, you can spend the rest of your life studying the depths of Scripture, and, and you will always be surprised there will always be new things. But at its core, the message of the gospel, it's not complicated. It's about Jesus, the good shepherd who did what we could not do for ourselves. It's about believing him and following him, becoming more like him. And you don't have to be an expert to help somebody with this. And I know because I've seen it happen again and again. I have the privilege, the incredible privilege of working with students. Uh, some who, who have Christian backgrounds. Some, like myself, who grew up in church, but maybe didn't really know how to follow Jesus, didn't know what it meant to be a disciple. And then I have the privilege of working with students who, who come to know Jesus in college for the first time. And I've seen students decide to follow Jesus and the next week go home and tell their family and their family starts to follow Jesus. I've, I've seen students uh, share the gospel with classmates and, and lead their classmates into how to follow Jesus. And they haven't even known Jesus for six months yet. And it, honestly, in my experience, new Christians, like those who have just found the good news of Jesus, they tend to make the best laborers because one, they don't know any better, right? They don't, they don't know that they're supposed to be trained or qualified. But also because they're so stinking excited about what they found. Some of the best laborers. They're beggars who have just found a good meal, and they want to tell somebody else about it. I want that to be us. I want that to be me. 
I want to be so excited about the meal that I found that I can't wait to tell others about it. I want want to see harassed and helpless sheep and have compassion on them and introduce them to the good shepherd. Tell them about the one who will answer all the problems. So we're going to go into a time of reflection. Uh, There's going to be some more music, opportunity to sit and, and meet with Jesus. And, and a couple things to think about. You know, maybe you're here and uh, you're, you're new, uh, or maybe you haven't been in a long time, and uh, you don't follow Jesus, you don't consider yourself a disciple, uh, but maybe you're still hung up on that idea of a harassed and helpless sheep. And I, and I want you to hear that, that even now, even this morning, the Good Shepherd is saying, come, follow me. And you can talk to him today, that you, you can say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. And we're going to have people up uh, over here in the corner to pray with you if, if you want to pray or if you want to ask more questions about that. But maybe you've been here for a while or, or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you think, yeah, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've given him my life. I consider myself a disciple. But, you know, maybe I, I don't think I've really been a laborer. I don't think that that's my, my heart, my passion. And for you, I'd say, man, it starts today. You know where to find a good meal, right? You know where to find the good shepherd. And you have the incredible opportunity to invite others to that as well. So let me pray, and then we're going to have a time of reflection. And again, if, if you'd like to pray with somebody, uh, you're welcome to come over here to the uh, left side of the stage. Lord, thank you uh, for this morning. God, even as I share this, uh, I recognize and realize how once again I I have strayed and how I I still have the tendency of the harassed and helpless sheep that tries to to go my own way. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to be the good shepherd. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you that because he died for us, that we can have eternal life. God, I, I want us to recognize and to see what you saw when you saw the crowds. I want us to see hurt and broken people, harassed and helpless. And and Lord, would you give us a compassion for them? Would you help us to see what you saw? Lord, would you raise up more laborers? Even as we sang earlier, we want you to come. Lord, we want you to come back, Jesus. We wait for you as the bride waits for the groom. And yet, Lord, we know that more people need to hear. God, would you raise up laborers? Would you raise up us up to be laborers? Thank you, Lord. Amen. As Kevin mentioned, we're going to enter into a, a time of reflection, which is an opportunity for you to just